now, your host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome again to the TriTac Games Podcast, the podcast of exploring the strange worlds of TriTac Games and gaming in general. This week we are continuing our discussion of hardware hinterland beginning campaigns and issues involved in bringing characters into a campaign where you don't have a lot of experience with the game world. I laid out what I thought was a good sample campaign for beginning players where they could start off really not knowing a whole lot and then follow through a bunch of the locations that were near the starting point suggested by the book itself until you got to the end of a story arc. This week, we're going to turn it over to John, who has his ideas about some campaign issues and some campaign suggestions. I'm sick and tired of paying the flight to Environ. Someone here learned to fly. So they're going to spend their next advance on going to school and getting that license. Of course, and spend money as well. That's something else that you'd have to modify in uh, most games. Instead of just simply getting that skill for free, you actually have to justify by having enough cash to pay to go to flight school and learn to fly. Eventually, they will. someone will learn to fly, and they will then try, as you said, either try to salvage an airplane of the of the boneyard or buy one buy a used one because uh, there's a great used plane guide in this book i mean there's a, like god a, there's a lot of good planes in that in this book they can pick from plane of choice the players may decide they don't want a cargo plane they want something that's faster and more sleeker so they might go for something like a catalina or do you have an otter or a yunkers a yunkers would be a great one they may not go to DC-3. They may go some other aircraft. Why would that be awesome? What does the other aircraft bring to the situation that's an advantage? Well, okay, there's a certain mindset that goes with, with the different airplanes. A DC-3 is a cargo plane slash passenger plane. That sort of gives the impression that you're going to be doing trades. You're going to be buying cargo in one environment, shipping to another environment, and hoping to sell it. Well, at least it offers the opportunity to help support you as you go from place to place. What do these other ones give you? Let's say everyone decides to spend their next advance, their next skill purchase, on piloting. So, so everyone becomes a pilot. At that point, you can then turn around, and, and if you can find them, you can buy single-seat aircraft. Now, instead of one plane, you have four or five, or even six. Six airplanes of the, the Brewster Buffalo or, uh, or a Sopwith Camel. And that means you're not going to be traitors. These are all fighter aircraft. And they'll, you'll probably get them with working guns. That means you're either going to be going pirate hunting and going for the bounties, or you're doing something else. Maybe you're going to become pirates, or maybe... Or mercenaries, John. Thank you, Bruce. Or mercenaries. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for mercenaries between all these different environs. Yes. In any society, there's going to be one group that's unhappy with the, the status quo. Yeah. Now, one thing about the about the hinterland is that I don't think there's maybe about half a million people in in the known environs, at best half a million. 
how, how are they going to possibly do a census? I don't know, but there's actually population numbers in every environment. I haven't added them up yet. I think that's more of a GM kind of thing, but go on. But that tells you, though, that the place is sparsely populated. So you're not going to see wars that much, especially when you have to transport everything by air from one environment over 200 miles of hostile terrain to another hostile terrain. There's a lot of chance there for people to intercept you over, these, over the waters and take you down. Uh, I don't see invasions from Anson's kingdom to New Akron. What I do see, however, is privateering. Somebody says, we're not training with New Canada anymore, therefore you're free to shoot down anything flying almost Canadian colors. You can have a bit of an air war that way. And you may get into it whether you want to be or not. If you've got all your airplanes, say, in New Akron, and they're all registered in New Akron, you'll be probably flying with New Akron colors. And if there's a political dust-up between, say, New Akron and, say, Anson's Kingdom, you might get shot down just because you're flying with New Akron colors. And so uh, you may get involved in an air war whether you want to be or not. And some players may decide, that, nah, we don't want a plane. We'll just pay for passage everywhere we go. It's kind of expensive, but, you know, hey, they plan to stay, stay wherever they're going for a while before they go up and, and head someplace else. Is it more expensive than having to pay for the landing rights for your plane and maintaining your plane? All right, well, John, while you're looking that up, along the mercenary line, there's a lot of organizations that would be looking for mercenaries. The Interpol, it doesn't mean that they have a lot of flyers. They even have a lot of people. So if, for example, they were to find somebody growing a crop that they considered to be heinous and they wanted to get rid of it, they might very well hire you to do a strafing run against that plantation, for example. Air Sea Rescue, which usually does not involve large cargo planes. You could go working for some of these criminal agencies where, they, again, they might want you to do a strafing run against a business. You'd have to be of a particular moral bent to do that. One of the things that they listed was anybody who's going from one environment to another and has some cargo space can bring mail, and that provides a steady supply of money. There's also carrying essential supplies, not the big stuff, but the emergency stuff like medicines from one environment to another or important political documents, things that does not require you having a large cargo plane. Just because you're not somebody who's in the process of being the air trader from one world to another doesn't mean you can't make some money off of being a small plane and going from place to place. I mean, mail's important. Getting messages back and forth, that's important. And mail doesn't take up a whole lot of space. You can carry a mail bag or two on most any airplane. And if you're a drug runner, taking some of those magic shrooms from place to place, they don't take up much room either. And you can make a sizable profit once you find a number of safe locations where you can sell your wares. Basically, flying from one environment to another range between 40 and $60. Okay, that's actually comparable to today's prices. So you're paying... Uh, probably the same kind of price for flying about the same distance in today's dollars. So it's about 40 60 bucks. However, if you're going to buy a plane, between fifteen dollars and $45,000 to buy. Exactly. And the fuel, if you're using alcohol, is $3 a gallon, and a, a DC-3 has a 860-gallon tank. You can do the math for that one. I'm not right there. <laughs> yeah, but how much does it use per mile? Well, it has a range of 1,200 miles. So about a, a mile and a half per gallon, is what you're saying? Yeah. That's pretty lousy. Mm-hmm. That's with alcohol. If you're using gasoline, triple that. Yeah, but it costs $50 a gallon, doesn't it? 
$10 a gallon. It may be actually cheaper not to have an airplane just fly commercial, which could be its own problem. Just remember, Indiana Jones and, and the, which one was it again? Temple of Doom. Flying in someone else's airplane can, can have all sorts of other kind of problems. <laughs> Especially the side that they don't want you going to where you're going. However, the cachet of Hardware Hinterlands is closely associated with flying. Yes. Even if you pay for your flights, you're probably going to have lots of opportunities to fly, even though you may not be the pilot, just to maintain that kind of feel that is really pretty central to the tone of the actual game. Eventually, you may look into a plane. This is almost a tri-tech tradition. You play a card game and you win an airplane. One wing's about to fall off, but it's your plane. So now you get to get to fix it and get it going. Hopefully you can find yourself a Kaylee. Yeah, a Kaylee or, uh, or a Scotty, one or the other. Yeah, I'd take Kaylee over Scotty. <laughs> but I think Scotty would make it actually probably get it flying faster, though. This is the young classic series Scotty. Yeah. Not the elderly statesman Scotty we saw in the last movies. Mm-hmm. Good salvagers know that you can hit a site once and then come back a month later and it's fully restocked. So I imagine places like Detroit, the salvagers have gotten together and they keep track of when a, a site was last salvaged. So they won't over-salvage it and run it out. Basically, all the maintenance leave. Uh, maintenance are these little, what, what do you want to call them? They're ants. Well, they're ants, but they're ants that maintain and, and keep buildings going until they're occupied and there's someone living in them on a full-time basis. Then they leave, and then everything goes to pot in that building, basically. It starts aging normally. But as long as no one lives there on a permanent basis, the building is maintained. The building is kept stocked up. So you find uh, McDonald's, there's frozen hamburgers in the freezer you can buy and sell on the market. You find an old Dunkin' Donuts. There's 20 pounds of coffee in the back room you can buy and sell for profit. You know, there's things like that. If you come back a month later, it's back again. Does the maintenance have put it back? So this is something to keep in mind, you know, that in some places where there's a large potential fine like that, the salvagers are probably working together to make sure no one overpicks and destroys that fine by forcing the maintenance to leave. I think it's really cool that you can set up these trade routes, finding places like the Dunkin' Donuts and all these, um, these, these creature comforts that people will be missing when they get there. You know, Because like you were saying before, you can't go home, you can't go home, you can't go home. However, you can have a taste of home. And you could set up a job where your job is bringing the comforts of home to these other players or to the other people in the world, NPCs or whatever, and make good money at it, and you don't necessarily have to be some kind of mercenary, you know, and fighting people all the time. You could literally have a legitimate job and provide a very positive service for people. It's kind of cool in that way because a lot of times when we play role-playing games, generally we fall into our, our job is almost always some kind of mercenary. Yeah. But with this, and you could still have action and adventure because you have to fight off the other people who are trying to get your goods. You still have an action and adventure, but you really are a good guy and you're doing you know, a much-valued, much-needed service. You're brand new to the land, you decide to do this service for folks, and Sam Blackwell wants you to find him best slitch malt liquor you out there. It turns out that the Sam Blackwell is, of course, Butcher Boy Blackwell. It may be a very difficult encounter with him, even though you're doing him a service. He may take a disliking to you and, you know, cut off an ear and 
and says, it'll grow back, don't worry. You could actually have tension with, with your customers. Maybe a customer says, I'm really looking for the MacGuffin. You're going to try to find the MacGuffin because that's what they want. That means a lot of searching in various places. You may have to go to another environ, search various unsalvaged sections of a city to bring back. He may have turned around and asked more than one salvager, or, he might, or maybe, maybe put a reward, $200 reward for this MacGuffin, and you're not the only person searching for it. Whoever gets it first and gets it back to him will get the $200, or maybe it's even $2,000. So like a treasure hunt. Yeah. Speaking of treasure, we always talk about mining movies for adventures. You're searching for a treasure. One movie in mind is It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of as in the form of treasure hunt. You have your PCs working in different groups. They're all trying to find the treasure. And it could be a comedy of errors. It could be really cutthroat. You never know. Because part of this depends on how your series, your players take it. One thing I will point out, if you ever watched the movie It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World, yes, it's a comedy, but watch the characters. To them, it's deadly serious. So, in summation, from my point of view, there's various things you have to hit on when you run a, a Hinterland campaign. One, you really got to sell to the players that their characters are not going home. This is their new home for however long they live or survive. You can't go home. You can't go home. You can't go home. Two, when you're building the characters, point out to them that certain either hindrances or disadvantages or whatever your system calls them, physical disadvantages go away. You know, you can be one arm and blind, it's going to go away. Don't even bother buying it, because the GM would have to either give you a new disadvantage to compensate, or subtract points, or do something, or, or hold, withhold experience points until everyone catches up. Find some ways so the characters have a buy-in to this culture. They're going to have to live there now, so their characters have to find some way to integrate themselves into society. They are a bit of a band of brothers, because they've all been through your day zero scenario, and they now are living in the hinterland, and they may decide to stick together and work together in the hinterland. And finally, the players that want to explore, they'll want to see some of these strange places. In the hinterland, in the basic setup, there's, what, 20 worlds? 20 different environments they can go to? So it's quite possible that you'll be forced to come up with something at the spur of the moment. Be well-versed and be prepared to run something in Etowango because the players want to go to Etowango for whatever reason. Or they want to go to Little Kiev and steal an icon from some church. It never will go and get in their little mind sometimes. Be prepared to improvise. Finally, remember, have fun. You're in a new world. There's different mindsets. There's, there's lots of adventure in this world. Always look for that hook. And keep in mind the old adventure movies. All the air adventure style movies that you ever seen as a, as a kid. Or in some of the TV shows like Tailspin. There's lots of things in mind for plot ideas in those types of ventures. So, until next week. That was the hardwired hinterland. Join us next time. We hear our host say. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. 
Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern. The Tri-Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri-Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri-Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. (laughs) 